April 22nd, May 13th, June 3rd, June 24th. These dates ringing any bells? Well, they might if you're an Ontario angler because these dates are all the different fishy openers we have across the province. Of course, these dates may vary depending on where you are in the province, but here in Southern Ontario, these dates are celebrated across all tying tables. With these dates fast approaching, Drift Outfitters and Fly Shop in downtown Toronto is the place to go to get ready for trout, walleye, pike, muskie, bass of the small and largemouth variety. Yes, Drift Outfitters has you totally covered for all your upcoming fishing needs. Stop by the store to chat with the experts themselves and learn how to catch the fish you're after. Or shop online at driftoutfitters.com and enjoy coast-to-coast-to-coast -to -coast -to -coast shipping on all the best products. Find them at 199 Queen Street East in Toronto or online at driftoutfitters.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SoFly. It is uh, middle of June here. Actually, this podcast comes out June 15th. It's June 14th, so it's hot off the presses. I uh, <laughs> love a good fresh show for y'all. Uh, super excited to be recording today. Of course, we've got myself, Mitch. We've got Aldo. Hey, everybody. And Yilma is at the Cure? At, at a Cure concert. At a Cure yeah. concert. So yeah. he's gone to see the Cure in <laughs> Toronto. <laughs> and uh, there we go. Hopefully he's having a ball. Um, but yeah, super excited to be recording a show here today. Uh, Captains for Clean Water is a grassroots nonprofit organization that fights to restore and protect our water resources. In 2016, it began as a couple of fishing guides that had had enough of Florida's poor water management practices, devastating the estuaries they rely on. These guides were convinced that if everyone knew about these issues, they would have fi been fixed long ago. The solution is known, but has been delayed for decades due to lack of political will and public awareness. So, Captains for Clean Water set out to change that. Uh, of course, they work to advance science-based solutions through efforts focused on awareness and education, empowering people like you to speak up for our water quality and hold elected officials accountable. Uh, since their inception, they've united the outdoor industry, environmental groups, business communities, uh, concerned citizens, and uh, get it, gotten everyone rallying around these important issues. And they're seeing more people than ever get involved in the fight for clean water, which is incredible. Uh, of course, there's no shortage of hard work there, which we'll talk about. As a result, progress is happening at a record pace, but there is, of course, still a long way to go. Um, so today, Captain Chris Whitman is a fourth-generation Florida native and co-founder of Captains for Clean Water. He witnessed the consequences of Florida's water mismanagement, ma mismanagement and recognized he had to do something. His extensive experience as a fishing and hunting guide, nationally renowned tour tournament anger, and on-camera TV host and show producer allows him to engage leading brands and personalities across the industry and identify opportunities to expand the organization's reach. But today, he's on the show Chris, welcome. Did I pronounce your last name right? Whitman. Yes, sir. Thank oh, excellent. You. Yes, of course. Yeah, super excited to have you. Uh, <laughs> it's one of our long, longest intros. I was kind of starting to trip over my own words at the end there, but that's because <laughs> there's just so much to talk about here. But uh, yeah, yeah. How, first of all, how's it going and where are you calling in from? Uh, it's going great. I'm in southwest Florida, Fort Myers area. Um, many right on. people may know we just got hit by Hurricane Ian the end of last year. Right. Um, kind of devastated our, our hometown where our headquarters is, but we are we are all good and, and on the rebound and on the road to recovery here. Okay, well, that's good news. And uh, are you fishing at all lately? Uh, what's uh, what's the status on that right now? 
Yeah, I haven't been fishing too much myself, unfortunately. Uh, a lot of time, a lot of time in the office and on the road. Yep. Um, but the fishing has been pretty decent. We're in the in kind of in the middle of our tarpon season now, which is right fishing on. guides. That's always uh, that's always your bread and butter. So um, it's good. Uh, you know, the the water quality's fairly good for this time of year, and and yep. the fishing is is going great. So radical. Right on. That's good to hear. It's crazy that you, I mean, are you, are you guiding as, as much as, I mean, it seems like, I mean, I guess we'll get all into this, but like, yeah, with all the advocacy you're doing, do you even have time to guide? No, I have not, <laughs> uh, have not been able to guide since, uh, 2017. Wow. We basically <laughs> okay. had to walk away from our careers to, to run this full time. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely going to get more into captains and stuff. Like, I mean, it's a. It's a huge organization. Like it's from the outside, it's a big organization. Obviously, like we've seen the work that Captains has been doing for years, and even before we we met you, or of course we we met Benny Blanco, got to fish with him in in February, March, something like that. And uh, you know, so it's 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 amazing what you guys are doing. And of course, we're going to talk more about that. But maybe before we get into Captains for Clean Water and, and all the amazing work you guys are doing, um, let's just hear a bit more about yourself and uh, how you got into fishing. How you got into fly fishing when you became a captain, all that kind of stuff. Sure. I mean, um, I mean, I grew up on an island called Sanibel here on the mm-hmm. coast. So oh, cool. fishing uh, has pretty much, you know, been yep. part of my life as long as I can remember it. I don't, I don't remember the first time I went fishing. I've seen pictures of it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I've, I, I've been fishing as long as I can remember with my dad and my family. And um, so I guess you know as a kid you live on an island you grow up on an island whether you're fishing or surfing or you know scuba diving one way or another your life literally revolves around the water and um you know it's it's part of you and so um my family's profession was uh general contractors doing kind Mm -hmm. of small small construction company doing like high-end residential homes and small commercial jobs and um I did that for a while through, through high school, you know, in the summers and, and on weekends and off time. And for me, any time that I would be, you know, on a construction site, I'd be, I'd be looking out of the water, wishing I was out there. And so, um, late night, I guess it was 1999. I decided that, you know, I was going to make a leap away from the family business and, yeah. and become a fishing guide so that I could, selfishly spend more time on the water and 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 also get to share you know what i loved about florida with other people and make a living doing it and it uh was a great great career for me guided you know full-time since 2000 and that led to professional tournament fishing for espn and the national redfish tour around the country um, led to numerous uh, outdoor programs, um, and ultimately producing and, and hosting a outdoor program with, uh, discoveries, destination America in 2015, 16. And that's um, sick. So, what yeah, show was that? The, what show was what you guys, it's do? called wild instinct outdoors. Ah, cool. Gotta check that out. Is it still like out there for someone to find? Fortunately, I don't think it's, we got that it, in Canada. It, Sorry. It's, uh, <laughs> I've got my tricks. It's, it's out there. I think nowadays, once you put stuff on the internet, it's there for right. That's true. That's yeah. true. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, well, that's all I got to check out. That's cool. I mean, that's a whole thing we could talk about in a minute. But um, okay, so you kind of grew up fishing, grew around water, became part of your identity, as it does with many people. And 
And then uh, was it fly fishing you started like right off the bat or did fly fishing kind of come in later? In life? No, I mean, I literally started fishing when I was, you know, I don't know, a, a couple of years old. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember, you know, the, the first time uh, I got a saltwater fly set up, well, I was probably, I wasn't old enough to drive. So I was probably maybe like 10, maybe, maybe 12 years old, 13 yeah. years old, somewhere around in there. Um, and I got a, uh, St. Croix, it was a five, six weight. So nice. today I'm kind of like, well, is it a five or is it a six? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember but, those um, split weights. Those are weird. Yeah. yeah but a little five, <laughs> six, eight with a Orvis bat and kill reel on it. And, nice. um, and I had no clue, you know, I would, I would watch flip pallet and, yep. and whatnot on Saturdays and Sundays and, um, no clue, but I, I took a, Actually, it was funny because I actually took a workshop vice, not a fly vice, like a like a straight up workshop yep. vice, and like a live bait hook, and <laughs> spun some chicken feathers and like some craft eyes, like not even fly tying yeah. material, <laughs> into uh, into something that I thought looked like a pilchard, and I went out to Fort Myers Beach and and caught like a thirty eight inch snook on this. Thing Got a on fish a on it. Six weight. Yeah. Damn, that's sick. Yeah. On a six Thir- weight, thirty-eight inch yeah. snook. Holy smokes! It was, it was wild, um, and I was clueless <laughs> at the time. You know, I'm a kid back then, and, and I killed it. You know, and yeah, I took I it home and and ate it. And I'm like, yeah. I look back at that today. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I know the stuff but, we uh, do. You know, we have no idea when we're kids. Like, <laughs> I did the same thing. Like when I learned to fly tie, I took a yeah, like a vice, like a vice vice, yeah. and just tied a bunch of thread on a jig. And I was like. This doesn't look like a fly. What am I doing wrong here? <laughs> but I didn't catch shit on that, so nicely done. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, I think anybody fishing or hunting or whatever, I think there's a, a natural progression as yeah. you um, as you excel in your craft in certain areas. You want to take on more challenging aspects and, and challenge yeah. yourself and your skills. And that's that's same you know no different than with many people that same thing happened with me and and uh you know i got to the point where if i was going fishing for fun or for myself Mm -hmm. it was most enjoyable for me to to have the challenge of of fly fishing versus going fishing with live bait or totally lures or whatever so then the foray into guiding um you know you left the the business in 99 and then got into guiding uh, how did you find those, you know, that transition? Like, was it, uh, was it pretty quick? Is there lots of, was there lots of work right away or, you know? Yeah, it was very quick. Um, our, our region here, Southwest Florida, Fort Myers, yep. Sanibel, um, it's, it's, it's a tourist driven economy. Right. Um, right. and so between our tourist season and when I started, I was, I was willing to take people you know, four or five people on my boat and go like family fun fishing or even sight fishing uh, or uh, uh, sightseeing out to the islands just to get business. But very quickly, I was able to get to to strictly, you know, pretty, pretty hardcore fishing charters. And between that and being multi-generational from this area, um, I had a lot of, you know, people that I knew that hired me that were locals during the off season. So, yeah, it was um, it, it was a, a pretty quick turn up to to being full time in a in a pretty busy career. That's amazing. So, what was the point in your career where you just said, "I got to start some kind of organization to fight what's happening to our waters"? How did captains start? 
it really didn't start with saying like we needed to start an organization. Right. Um, right. We, throughout my whole life, even prior to my career, we knew we had water issues. Um, you know, every every couple years, we would experience massive discharges from Lake Okeechobee in mm-hmm. the wet season, usually, mm-hmm. and it would decimate our fishery around Sanibel Island where I grew up. It would be such a large volume of water that it would actually turn that saltwater fishery fresh. Wow. Um, wow. You'd have a huge plume of fresh water that would kind of envelop the island and would push out offshore several miles. Um, there's pictures of aerial pictures of that on our website um, from 2018 and mm-hmm. 2016. So we're aware of these issues. Um, I don't think it was until it wasn't until 2016. I had been gone for several months filming uh, my TV show. Yeah. And I came back and I was reaching out to some of my fishing guide buddies down in Florida Bay about filming some shows for the next season. Mm-hmm. And they were all um, up in arms, people like Benny Blanco, mm-hmm. about this massive seagrass die off that happened over the summer prior yeah. um, while I was gone. And it was like 40 to 50,000 acres of seagrass that died almost Jeez. overnight. And that, so for me, that was more, that's more seagrass than we have in all of my fishery, all of Pine Island Sound. Right. Well, um, and so I heard about that and you know, it was that it was hyper saline. It was, it got too salty because of the lack of fresh water yeah. and that, you know, that no longer could flow down to Florida Bay to the Keys and the Everglades. And so consequently I get home and it's February and should be kind of at the end of our dry season and we had kind of a a very wet dry season and we're getting these massive discharges that we are familiar with seeing in the summer months but all of a sudden we're getting them in the end of february and march leading right into our tourist season and it was like collapsing our fishery um it was it was you, you couldn't have you couldn't have live bait anywhere in that area without it dying. I mean, it was, it was basically the saltwater fishery was fresh yeah. and it started having the same effect. And this is, it goes for months on end. So the initial thing was, you know, you get all the shellfish, the crabs, the, the stuff that can move, um, starting to crawl up on the beaches to get away from the fresh water and die. Wow. And wow. so you've got, you know, conch shells and crabs <clears throat> and stuff by the tens of thousands crawling up onto your beaches, dying, um, obviously not real good for beach tourism. And so a lot of our clients were calling and saying, Hey, um, we're, we're going home early. You know, my wife and kids want to hang out on the beach while I was kind of fish for a few days. And it's, there's, there's dead fish everywhere, dead shells everywhere. We're going home early. And, um, and then, you know, we'd have to, instead of fishing area around Sanibel, we'd have to run, you know, 20 miles to get right. away from that water. So wow. it was just kind of a real wake up call that, look, the very same water that was destroying our fishery was the same water that was needed to, to stop those hypersaline conditions down in, in Florida Bay and in Benny's fishery. Mm-hmm. And it was like this one big problem that was connected even though we were you know several hours hundreds of miles apart Mm. 
And I, at that point in time, it was, it wasn't like, look, let's start an organization. It was something has to change. We can't, this isn't sustainable. We can't yeah. go down this road every couple of years. And so we started looking for somewhere to plug in as fishing guides um, that we felt would represent our interest and we felt they would have a, a focus on to us what was the, the biggest thing that impacted our businesses and our way of life. There was other organizations that, you know, that were around the fishing community that were we were supportive of, but they weren't focusing on to us what would, the thing that was having the greatest impact on our way of life and on our fishery, which was these massive discharges from the lake mm-hmm. and was the lack of water going to the Everglades. Ultimately, it was Everglades restoration. Mm-hmm. And so we looked for somewhere to plug in, somewhere for us to try to use our voice because you look at it and go, you know, it, we're fishing guides with, with these, you know, multi-decade careers and we're not involved. And the reason we weren't involved was just, there just wasn't anywhere that we saw that our voice, our effort could make a difference in changing this. And so we started diving into that, looking into it. Um, a, a fellow fishing guide, Daniel Andrews, who's the other founder of the organization, called me. He was He's several years younger than me. And I think he was probably in his like, maybe his fourth or fifth year guiding full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and somewhat similar to me, I walked away from my family business that was established. He walked away from a full ride scholarship in college to wow. pursue his dream job as a fishing guide. Yeah. And I think he called me because, you know, I was one of the, the more senior guides around here at the time. And, um, he, he called me basically thinking like, Hey, I think I might've screwed up. Maybe I should have right. stayed in college. Like what's happening. Um, and so him and I started looking for ways that we can make a difference. We went to Tallahassee. Um, we thought, you know, policymakers, if they know what's happening to our community, they represent us, they'll do something about it. Right. We were met with, with double talk and, and political yeah. bullshit, which, yeah. you know, yeah. we're fishermen. We identify BS pretty, pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. um, so the BS meter is strong. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. so. We came back from that and um, really realized that um, surprisingly there was a solution that could have a, a, a significant impact on this. I, I wouldn't say it would completely fix our problems, but it has the ability to fix the lion's share, you know, these right. crippling events every two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a solution that, that would help us. It would help the East Coast who just the year prior had massive algae blooms over in the St. Lucie River, um, and it would help Florida Bay and the Keys. And that solution's Everglades restoration. And mm-hmm. and the reason for these problems was the altering of the okay. Everglades. Um, That's what I was going to ask. Like, you saw this change in the ecosystem and everything. Was that a whack, dying off seagrass, too salty water? Like, <laughs> not, not enough salty water. Not enough salty water. <laughs> it was like, yeah, what was the, the, the cause? Yeah. And, and that's what it is. It, it's imbalance. It's imbalance yeah. in a system. You had an ecosystem that historically water would flow from south of Orlando down through the center of the state into Lake Okeechobee. It would fill up Lake Okeechobee. It would overflow its southern rim and would, fe- excuse me, would feed what we call the river of grass. Okay. Um, about 80 mile wide 
um, flowing grass river, you know, a couple feet deep with, with sawgrass. And that would, would flow its way south through the interior of the Everglades um, between basically Miami and, and Naples and right. all the way down to Florida Bay and empty out through all those hundreds of creeks and rivers um, into the Gulf and into Florida Bay. And that's what would balance salinity levels down there. That's what would hydrate right. the Everglades. So back around the early 1900s, you know, mankind's mindset was conquer nature and, yeah. and you know, turn worthless land into something prosperous. And yeah. Florida was no different. Um, there was first attempts by private entities to drain the Everglades, to turn it into... <laughs> Can you imagine like that productive. meeting where they're just yeah. sitting around a table like, Profits are up. Let's drain the glades. It's like what? Yeah, it's just it's like you know you had you had the very very beginning of development and tourism yeah. down here. Um, you had um, you had efforts to have um, you, you know I guess U.S. based uh, food crops, right? Um, and you had what they saw as a worthless swamp, right? And so. Um, yeah, I mean, the old historic pictures and stuff of these, you know, steam-driven dredges and oh and guys with, you know, wagons and dynamite and stuff trying to, you know, the way that you you drain the Everglades is you you dig canals to bleed the water off the landscape and, right. and drain it off of off of that river of grass. Into the ocean, like eventually into, into the, the ocean, ocean. I guess. Yeah. Yep, uh, primarily into the Atlantic on the, on the East Coast. And so... There was all these attempts and then with each attempt there was these also these catastrophic failures you can't you know mother nature isn't you know easily tamed mm -hmm. <clears throat> you've seen it out west where people would you know attempt in the early times like that to go in and build a dam and then the right. dam would not hold and it would breach and it would flood the town and kill a bunch of people this yeah. was was no different um there was some some big hurricanes 1929 there was a hurricane and and it flooded some of those communities that they had drained the land to, to grow. They're growing primarily sugarcane. Um, mm. They, there was, you know, so, so tons of people died. So then the government got involved and they came in and ultimately created the system that we have today. And so they created a series of canals that would go um, kind of north west to southeast across the state draining the water out to the atlantic <clears throat> excuse me yeah yeah for sure you're fine and they would put up a series of levees um the tamiami trail which is uh, highway us 41 which connects miami to fort myers and naples yeah was put in that acted as a dam it acted as a barrier of flow from water flowing from the north down into florida bay yeah yeah <coughs> sorry no problem at all no problem at all um and then ultimately that system just couldn't handle the volume of water in a in a wet year coming out of lake okeechobee so they connected lake okeechobee to the saint Lucie river on the east coast yeah. And then they, they literally dug a connection there. And then they, they dug a connection connecting Lake Okeechobee to the Caloosahatchee River on the West Coast where I grew up. Yeah. And those were the big relief valves. So now when they got a bunch of water in the lake, 
they could they straightened kind of our river, took out all the oxbows and made it into a canal. And now you could shunt water out of that system much faster right. than you historically could. That's that's the system we were left with. And at the time they thought it was it worked great, but <laughs> what it did was it created a, a total imbalance in the ecosystem. On the east coast and the west coast, the interior of the Everglades began to dry up. You saw um, you saw changes in the actual plants and the tree islands that were normally very elongated from that water flow started to, to grow rounder in shape. Um, mm -hmm. And we started throughout time seeing symptoms of right. that change and symptoms of that imbalance, like the seagrass die off, like these algae blooms. Okay. Um, and then even to the point that the Biscayne Aquifer, which is the drinking water aquifer that supplies drinking water to all of Miami and Dade, so you know over almost probably about 10 million people rely on this aquifer for drinking water. It sits underneath the Everglades and relies on that flow of water over top of it uh -huh. to percolate down through the limestone and replenish that aquifer. They started pulling salt water because there was not enough water flowing Jeez. and filling that aquifer. So you had intrusion from the Atlantic Ocean. And so they had to move their pump stations inland. Um, so there was all these signs that like yeah, we screwed working. up this this system that was one interconnected system. Yeah. A lot of really smart people before this was even, you know, when I was before I was even around, realized this is a problem yeah. and they came up with a way to fix it and that solution um they got together with a bunch of scientists a bunch of ecologists engineers and they came up with what is the comprehensive everglades restoration plan or serp is the acronym and it's the longest it's the largest restoration project uh of its kind ever undertaken anywhere on the planet so mm. it's a massive massive wow. restoration project and it essentially reconnects the system that was fragmented and broken yep. into, into segments, reconnects that conveyance of water. It fills in some of those canals, um, removes some of those barriers to flow, adds bridges along Tamiami Trail. Um, and the big components of it were the most politically challenging, were, were some massive reservoirs and filter marshes south of Lake Okeechobee in the, mm -hmm. in the industrial sugar industry kind of footprint, what's called the EAA, the Everglades Agricultural Area. And this massive reservoir would take Lake Okeechobee's polluted water and instead of discharging it to the coast, would be able to put it into this reservoir, filter it through a man-made wetland, yeah, and then deliver it to the Everglades in the dry season when it was needed. Um, that, that plan, that SERP plan was a bipartisan effort um, Jeb Bush was the governor and Bill Clinton was the president and they signed that into law in the year 2000. So the year that I started guiding, okay. um, wow. it was thought that it would take 30 years to complete those 68 infrastructure projects within, within that, that, that plan. Mm -hmm. So here we go to 2016 with this collapse happening and um, we're, you know, over halfway through the projected time frame of, of the, that suite of projects and not a single project had been completed. 
And that was when we started learning that, we started putting the pieces of the puzzle together that the reason the reason this wasn't happening was you you had insignificant funding year yeah. after year after year. You're talking about billions of dollars, yeah. you know, to do these massive projects. And the reason there wasn't funding was there was a lack of political will. The industrial sugar industry yeah. um, wants the system to stay the way that it is because it works perfectly for them. Lake Okeechobee right. is treated as a reservoir, not a natural lake. Right. Right. What do you want a reservoir? You want it to be full, right? If it's, yeah. so, so they would advocate for that lake to be as full as possible at all times. What that meant for us was if you hold it artificially full during the dry season, when the summer rains come, there's no capacity and you got to dump it out the relief valves, which is where I live. Yeah. Um, so they're one of the biggest political lobbies in the state of Florida. It's it's a consolidated industry. It's basically two big companies. So it's real easy for them to get yeah. on the same page and go influence the political system. The <clears throat> stakeholders and people like myself, you're you're talking about <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people with individual voices and jobs, yeah. much harder to have to a organize. consolidated voice. Yeah. And so you're trying to guide yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and like and feed your families so, and stuff. Yeah, I mean, guides, you're talking about, you know, in, in 2018, we had another crisis. 80 to 90% of our uh, tourism hospitality industry on the islands were were vacant. Hotels were vacant. Restaurants were empty. We literally had soup kitchen um, nonprofits out on our barrier islands providing groceries to people who worked as servers and bartenders and stuff because wow. they had no business. They couldn't feed their families. So um, it literally can collapse our economy yeah. uh, on top of affecting our way of life. But so it wasn't to get back to your question, it's kind of a long winded way to get there, but no, no, it's great. That's like gave us a full overview of the history of the problem. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that's way, Everglades yeah. restoration. And that's why yeah, it's yeah. our focus. Mm -hmm. So we didn't, we weren't like, you know what, let's start an organization. We started yeah. to try to find an organization to plug into an organization that it just, it didn't exist, you know, and when we got pushed back by ones that were like, oh, you know, that's, that's too controversial and sure. yeah. it'll never change. It's just been like that. And, and so we are fishermen. So not only do we identify BS, but yeah. we're also pretty stubborn and hard headed. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, mm -hmm that we didn't get answers that we liked. And so yep. we, um, we figured, you know what, uh, at this point we just need to see if, if anybody else cares, if we can get yeah. other people like ourselves to try to do something. And we are so naive in the system back then. I think we wrote a letter to the mayor of Fort Myers, like, like the mayor could do <laughs> anything ab about this, you know, but we just wanted to do something. And so we created, uh, Facebook page after, you know, a couple, we don't have any business, right? Like everybody's going yeah. home because of our water issue. So we're talking to other guides. We're talking to people at restaurants, bartenders. And, um, and, and everybody was like, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And, and you'd hear all these different reasons why and whatnot. Mm. And so we created a Facebook page, um, captains for clean water. And we just thought like, look, we're captains. We just want something that isn't too outrageous to ask for. We want clean water. And yeah. um, we asked some of our friends at Bass Pro Shops if we could borrow their meeting room upstairs and see if we could, if there was anybody that would 
that would, you know, have felt the same way we did. And we put a post out, you know, I think on a Friday or something saying, we're going to have a meeting at Bass Pro Shops on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. everybody's welcome and um i think we we're kind of hoping like maybe <clears throat> maybe a few people dozen people or sure yeah. show up. well yeah in the interim while that while you know between when we put that post up and there was all these news stories coming out about dead fish everywhere discharges from lake okeechobee yeah <clears throat> and one of the things that the sugar industry historically did um, and relied on was control the narrative. Um, No different than any special interest. You can use propaganda or talking points to, you know, sow confusion, sow doubt, um, divide communities, you know, try to say, you know, the West Coast is getting this because the East Coast, you know, has all the money or tell the East Coast is getting it because the West, you know, Right, right, get the East Coast fighting the West Coast instead of fighting together. And so, like, the day before that um, meeting we were going to hold, might have even been the day of, all of a sudden we get wind of, I get off the water, and we get wind of a press conference being held by U.S. Sugar downtown Fort Myers. And... At that Bass Pro Shops. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's crazy. Like, why is a, a company... Yeah. based 90 miles from here in Cluiston, yeah. holding a press conference here. Yeah. And so we went there and we tried to get in. And uh, when I pulled up, Daniel and a couple other fishing guy buddies had already tried to get in. It was closed door, press only, yeah. hand selected, no public, in a hotel meeting room there. Um, and so I actually remembered that I had a press credential card from like the shooting sports association or something from my TV right, show because of the TV show. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> and so, okay. That's awesome. I'm like, I'm literally in like board shorts and a hoodie Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, all right, well I'm going to try to get in. And so I go up to the, just, you know, she's just a girl yeah. running the door and I'm like, no, I'm press. Here's my credentials right here. Here's my name on the card. Here's my ID. Yeah. And she let me in. And I got in the room and it's a pretty small Whoa. room. It's a couple of the local news anchors that Infiltrated. Um, interviewed me as a fishing yeah. guide about the water issues and stuff. So they saw me come in and were kind of like, huh. Yeah. And they were, it was just all this like one sided presentations and talking points like, oh, well, 98% of the water comes from the north. The problem is north of the lake, not us to the south. And it's like, well, yeah, that's where the water historically yeah. came from. The problem is it can no longer go south. It's like yeah. water from your bathtub comes from the shower head. Yeah. If you're not letting it drain and your bathtub's overflowing, the answer yeah. is not to, you know, Showerhead. cut off the stop taking showers. The answer yeah. is to open the drain <laughs> back up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so it was just kind of like it was just this one-sided cherry-picked information and I started asking a couple questions yeah. um that made it pretty clear that it was one-sided cherry picked and um they shut down the press conference kicked everybody out came over oh. on my id wanted to know who i was like no way yeah and so um we went outside and proceeded to interview with the news stations that just got kicked Sick. out they just shut That's down awesome. the press conference so we went from that to this meeting at bass pro shops 
and where we hoped, you know, maybe some of our fishing guide buddies would show up. And we got there and there was like over 300 people. Wow. Out the door, every news station. Yeah. It, there was people that were commercial fishermen. There was Mm. recreational retired fishermen, people who don't typically get along, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, For sure. Just because of of, (laughs) conflicting uses on the resource. And there was fishing guides, there was rec guys, there was, I mean, you name it, jet ski rental people, um, uh, people from the hospitality industry, realtors. But what it was, it was all these people from all these different stakeholder groups in our community that were affected, that were impacted and wanted to see something change, but like Daniel and I didn't have a path to plug in, didn't have somewhere to plug in. And so um, I think that's when the light bulb went off for Daniel and I, that we have an opportunity here. We have a desire. This desire is being fueled because we're in a time of a water crisis. Is Is that passion by all these people in this community able to sustain when we are no longer in this water crisis once mm-hmm. the waters get good next year and we have yep. a year or two of good water right does everybody get complacent and go and back forget to the long like, run. oh problem fixed you know forget like, the long like, game yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. out of sight out of mind yeah and um and that's historically what would happen and that was the approach that was taken and so yep. <clears throat> we thought that if if we could educate people um, stakeholders, if we could educate policymakers on all these different people it was impacting, if we could give them a way to use their voice um, to advocate for themselves, that certainly we, we would have to see some improvement. And yeah. so from like 2016 to two, end of 2017, we started doing that. We were still guiding Um, but we were every waking minute, we were advocating about this. We were trying to meet with people. We're trying to get more people involved. And in the beginning there was pushback. Um, there was pushback from, from some of our friends and fellow guides saying, don't talk about water issues. It's going to hurt our business. Right. Yep. Short term kind of thinking. It was like, well, man, it might hurt your business right now, but if the fishery collapses, there goes, there is no business. Yeah. Yeah. And and so it just was kind of like um, an organic movement that people did want to stay in it. That it was the most important thing that affected them. And going into uh, 2018, we had another water crisis. And it just so happened that <clears throat> that kind of was the, for us, the straw that broke the camel's back was that 2016. For a lot of the people who were on the fence, who had been hearing from us yeah that 2018 when it happened again oh that, that was like was the kind of like the big red tide that happened <laughs> yeah because yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we we even like i would say like we you know we have a national broadcaster here called the cbc and you know yep. even even they were picking it up as yeah. a, you know environment D- yes definitely that, that yeah exactly it, it was getting was, around so yeah we had red tide present and the thing with the water that comes from lake okeechobee just the volume of water, even if it was drinkable water, just the volume turns the fishery so fresh that that's what kills the seagrass and the oysters. It's just salinity drop. It's like you take yeah. a saltwater aquarium and make it fresh. It can't live. Yeah, yeah. But with it comes massive amounts of legacy pollution 
um, from primarily industrial agriculture. So synthetic fertilizers, nitrogen mm. and phosphorus. Mm. And when you talk about a red tide bloom, that's an organism that can feed off of those nutrients. And so 2018, we had a red tide bloom present when we got these massive discharges. Right. And it made everything historically water quality issues look like child's play. We had, we had dolphins dying by the dozens. We had sea Jesus. turtles, manatees. Okay. We had a 27 foot whale shark die and wash up on the beach behind my friend's resort on Sanibel. Um, I mean, it was so big that they had to dig a hole in the beach and bury it. It was a, it was a massive whale shark. Um, That's like a it bus. was a whole ecosystem collapse. Wow. And so, you know, the community was up in arms and, mm -hmm. um, the army Corps of engineers who, who controls, uh, the management of the water along with the South Florida water management district, um, decide to have a, a town hall meeting here. And I mean, it was like pitchforks and <laughs> yeah. it was, it was bad, you know? Pissed, yeah. Um, and so they, they showed up and they're holding a meeting at the, at the yacht club in Cape Coral. And as all the press and people are, are there, there's a dead manatee pup hanging on, or a, a live manatee pup hanging onto its dead mother in the Jeez. boat ramp. And oh FWC's trying to haul the deceased mother out and the manatee pup's, you know, clinging onto its tail. So oh my God. It, went, so heartbreaking. it went national, um, you know, like you said, it, it caught national news. We were doing, that point we were a couple years in, so our name was out there where it's like people if reporters start calling they're like oh you should call these guys right and so, i mean we started doing interviews with you know on a, on a national level uh, level um you know cbs nightly news out of new york anderson cooper um wow. big big national news outlets and it started to get a ton of attention so it just kind of snowballed into this explosive movement and because of what was happening with the water crisis mm -hmm. and the opportunity, that's when we really looked at it and said, okay, like if there is an opportunity to impact change here, and it, but if we are, it's going to take the same amount of dedication and effort that we had given to our fishing careers. Yeah. We can't do this kind of half-ass part-time. There's, there's a movement happening, but it has to be organized. And so that's when we kind of created an organization to organize and steer the movement that was that was happening all across the state of Florida. That's wild. I mean, it's a lot to think about and take in. I mean, for the, one of the one of the cool things that I'm taking away from it is just like how connected every Florida is such a good case in a way as an example of how connected ecosystems are. And when you do something in the north. Here's how it affects the South and industries are more connected than we think. And, you know, people are starting to realize this, I guess, over the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, only now we're starting to really see uh, actual stuff maybe happen to, to help, you know, uh, uh, it, keep everything working in order. But, yeah, it's just amazing how everything's so connected, like Okeechobee to the Everglades to the 
the south, the east, the west. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Um, and geez. you know, we were lucky enough in February to you know go go to the Everglades, and and I know I had driven through it a couple times going to the Keys or whatever, but so that's not really actually going to the Everglades. You know, we were lucky enough to be hosted by Benny, and and you know, Mitchie and I went there, and like. I mean, is there a more, aside from the Grand Canyon or maybe Yosemite, is there a more iconic so American cool. wilderness? Like, I don't know. Exactly. Like, yeah. And, 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 you know, like, and, and on top of that, how unique is it that it's in a, you know, a tropical setting kind of thing so look in at, America? <laughs> so look you know, at the Everglades, like, you know, like in the early 1900s and be like, okay, we got to plow this and put a factory on it. Like, Okay, I can almost like excuse that because people back then, like you know, the people that came right. before us, they were out of their minds. But now, the people alive now, to look at the Everglades and say, "We just got to pump money out of this thing," like, how evil are you? I'm like, what's wrong with it's you? It feels like you're in like, like a Disney much, movie, you know? Yeah, I mean, how much money do yeah. you need? I mean, Jesus. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's insane. When is enough enough? Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's, uh, it's interesting because. The one, you're right. I mean, the Everglades is is such a national or international treasure. Yeah. I think as Floridians, we somewhat in the past took that for granted because it was right here. It was our backyard. It was just kind of like. And what a backyard. It was just Florida. We didn't. It wasn't like, hey, let's go to the Everglades for the weekend. It was like, let's go to the woods. It was like, let's let's go to camp. Yeah. but looking at it now through the lens I have now, it's like, you know, I, I think about the things that society around the world engages on. And you, you think about, about a few years back when the Amazon rainforest was on fire, right? Yeah. There was people around the world calling attention to that issue. And that was a significant issue. Mm-hmm. How many of those people do you think have ever been or will ever go to the Amazon rainforest? Exactly. Right. None of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But here you have something of equal intrinsic value, like the Everglades that's literally dying under our noses, but because it's not this visual fire, um, people weren't involved until we started having collapse. It was so visual. Um, And then people started to recognize it. And then, you know, the connectivity of the system, the ecosystem is one thing. <clears throat> Think about the connectivity of the mm-hmm. um, economy. Think about the boat manufacturers and engine yep. manufacturers that are based in, you know, Michigan yeah. that sell their product here. You think about like, you know, Yeti coolers in Austin, Texas, Orvis, Sims, you know, yep. Columbia, like, you said, like the hospitality yeah. industry, you know, like clothing companies, tourism, <laughs> companies, it's you know, all, everything. It's all, well, it's all connected. People spend thousands of dollars on gear just to go surfing once, you know, right. like, so you have yeah. all these companies based all over the country that have an invested interest in Florida's yeah. water quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the other piece that we were able to plug in was yeah. here's the stakeholder voice. And, you know, something I think unique, uh, about Everglades restoration is it's a partnership, a 50, 50 partnership between the state of Florida and the federal government requiring equal funding from both sides. So you have to get, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars every year from both the state and the federal government. Right. The state's one thing if you get them bought in, but the federal government, you've got 49 other states who are fighting for that same bucket of money 
for things that they need. And so it's very critically important that other states support support sending hundreds of millions of dollars to Florida to restore the Everglades. Um, One, because it's the right thing to do. (laughs) It's a national treasure. But two, because it does, Mm -hmm. you can you can. Uh, use a language that I think uh, policymakers understand a little more than what's right or wrong, and that is, you know, economic value and drivers. Yeah. And so, um, so that's totally. something that I think the outdoor industry has brought to this conversation and this effort since Captains for Clean Water, and we've been able to get companies from all over the world to plug in and support Everglades restoration year after year. It's amazing. I mean, you know, just thinking about where where Captains is at now and uh, the future, um, you know, I think it's one thing to be optimistic. It's another thing, like, to be a person like you who just decides that you got to do something, you know? Are you hopeful for where Captains is going and also SERP and just, like, generally, like, do you see a positive positive stuff happening i mean one thing that was kind of cool mitch i don't know if you remember but benny was like yeah tomorrow i've got to go to this um you know when the army corps was breaking (laughs) ground at the eaa reservoir he's like yeah i gotta go see chris tomorrow (laughs) we're breaking ground so it was cool it felt sorry so often i guess why i'm bringing this up is so and to your point mitch or question i should say yeah so often it feels like it's the david and goliath thing and Goliath is winning, <laughs> but it's, it always. kind of felt like, uh, you know, obviously the fight's long. Oh, oh, well, it'll probably be the rest of our lifetimes, yeah. you know, but it felt like po- to me, kind of positive, something positive, something, right? Like think positive things were happening, a big thing, actionable things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say when we started, it was, we were just fueled by anger. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. say there was much optimism involved. Um, now seven, seven plus years in, um, we're extremely optimistic. We've seen more progress made and, and projects broken ground or completed in the last six years than we did in the 16 prior. Right. Um, cool. The, the biggest, most politically challenging project of all is the heart of Everglades restoration. It's that EAA reservoir that Aldo was talking about. Um, you know, when that, when that bill was filed for that reservoir it was um, it was actually in 2017 um, we were told that it would it would never happen it was it, it would not happen first we were told that bill wouldn't pass it was called Senate bill 10 and uh, we rallied the outdoor community and and because we we're on the heels of a water crisis it, it did pass um, it passed veto proof. Um, so the governor at the time, um, Rick Scott, you know, it passed with such a high margin that it was, it was veto proof. And so it passed, but then it was said, well, it will never happen. It will never get funded consistently. And right. ever since there's been attack after attack, after attack, attempt after attempt to defund that, to stall it, to delay it, whether it's mm-hmm. lawsuits, whether it's, you know, making that money available for other stuff, whether it's renewing leases on the lands all these different things and we've been able to persevere and overcome those hurdles because we've been able to keep the public involved and keep them aware of what's going on and then get them to use their voice and so um to see uh you know earlier last year that project actually breaking ground um was 
was significant. It was something yeah. we told was impossible. Um, and so, yeah, I think more optimistic than ever before, but also very realistic in the fact that we've been here before. In the year 2000, when SERP was signed into law, people popped champagne bottles and thought we we're going to finally save the Everglades. Right. 16 years later, there wasn't much getting done. And so we, we know from past experience that um, we cannot get complacent. We, the public, the people cannot let their foot off the gas. The mm -hmm. attempts to stall this and to derail it and to defund it, these massive projects that will take, like you said, years, decades, mm -hmm. are going to happen time after time after time. And the only way that we beat that, the only way that David beats Goliath in in that is is by David you know, standing together and remaining very vigilant and getting louder and getting bigger and, and growing that, that voice and that army. And, and so that's what our job is at Captains for Clean Water. It's like a lot of people, a lot of people will ask like, okay, so how do you, you say you're an education organization, right? So you don't, you don't endorse candidates. You don't condone candidates. You don't get involved politically. You don't, you know, you're, you don't have lobbyists. It's like, look, the sugar industry has the largest lobbying team of multiple firms, ever over 70 lobbyists in the state of Florida. So even if I could hire one lobbyist, <laughs> yeah, what am they I going to do pretty fast. 70 <laughs> lobbyists that are pumping, you know, 10 to $15 yeah. million dollars in election exactly. cycle into the political system. So right, you yeah. can't combat <clears> it like <throat> that. So the way that we're able to turn you know, education into that is, is basically we looked at ourselves and why weren't we involved? We didn't understand um, maybe what needed to be done or what the problem was. We did not see an outlet for us to use our voice. We didn't think that an individual's voice was big enough to have an impact on Goliath. Yep. And we didn't have a way to plug in and so if society had that mindset, which we did, policymakers, it was pretty, we made it pretty easy for a consolidated industry. They were here on one side of it. They'd get up there, they'd get their checks handed out to them and, and, you know, and that was that. And so what was lacking was political will. There was no political will because the lobbyists were controlling yeah. the will of the politicians. Yeah. There was no public pressure. And so what we were able to do is we educate people. By educating them, we get them to become advocates for the fishery, for the water, for Everglades restoration. That advocacy results in public pressure. The public pressure is what creates the political will, which yeah. results in better water policy. Yeah. And so that's how we turn education on one hand into water yeah. policy in the other yeah try to yeah exactly that's that makes a ton of sense and obviously it's a it's a long it's a long game like you know and and uh but i think it's like the issues that you guys are fighting are just like some of the biggest issues facing the country you know like in a way it's like okay like stopping greed and like um uh, how do we actually have policymakers do the right thing and you know getting people to understand it's not just you know, uh, like how they can, what Goliath's tricks are, you know, like the propaganda and the lies, like getting people savvy to that stuff. And you're seeing all that kind of stuff happen in all other 
places around, you know, different discussions. Yeah. It's just one of those things that's a slow thing. But I mean, the stuff that you guys are seeing already is like really um, heartening. Like, it's nice to see stuff happening. Like you said, although like it's inspiring. Being it's broken. Yeah, it's inspiring. inspiring. Like, where, yeah. you know, what, like you said, like what state, country, province, city, town, river, lake, yeah. ocean isn't facing some sort of problem. Yeah. Like literally every single one of them is. So, yep. you know, literally. the work, the work you do is, is also inspiring, right? It, it can, yep. it, well, it inspires me, Yeah. you know, yeah, we have, we have our own issues here too, you know? So it's like, it's cool. That's one of the biggest, I think, reasons to be optimistic is outside of just Everglades restoration. Like we, <clears throat> we do, our mission is this massive fight, right? With a, massive special interest on one side and what's right for the rest of humanity on the other side. Mm -hmm. That's the type of fight that I can see captains plugging into, into the future. You know, it's things like save Bristol Bay where you have, you know, massive mining company, special interests, and then what's right for the rest of humanity on the other side. Those yeah. are the type I don't ever see in us seeing us being able to go in and, and get in the trenches in like, you know, at a municipal level of like, oh, well, this this community yeah, yeah. wants to dig this retention pond. And it's like, that's not, that's <laughs> not the world we yeah, live yeah, in. Yeah. But what we have shown is that if the common person can get involved in something that's important to them and impact a fight that is these massive fights that you don't necessarily have to hope that someone else will come in and and fix the issue that is in your backyard. You can band together. You can be inspired by what's happened with captains or other organizations and and take it on yourself and actually make a difference. It's like it's kind of like the thought of like if we put man on the moon, we yeah. can do these other things. Right. And yeah. so we have seen that and we've seen that a great deal where other communities have initially maybe reached out saying, Hey, there's this problem here. We want captains to take it on. And after going like, look, like we may look big and mighty, but we're a pretty small organization. I mean, we have a, you know, we're, we're growing, but you know, we have a, we have a, uh, an annual budget of, you know, two and a half million dollars. That's, that's tiny compared to almost every other, even regional nonprofits. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, we don't have capacity to, to take and fight all these things, but we have the ability to show that you can do it. Like you can yeah. make that impact yourself. And yeah. we've seen a lot of people pick up that torch in their with their own issues. And um, it's, it, that part's pretty inspiring to see, see people start fighting for the places they love. Yeah, no, that's awesome. It's amazing, and it's super cool to get the whole like rundown of it all and understand uh, the history of it and and uh, and you know where it's heading. Because uh, yeah, it's it's cool, you know, like to to see it. Captains is you you we read about it everywhere. Like it's it's on social. People are talking about it. Like it's great, you know. It's great to see that people are really yeah coming together and you know it's cool. And so, it was cool like nice experiencing work. it uh, yeah. kind of firsthand with Benny and and also you know seeing what BTT's up to and like yeah, there's a lot of really I mean, yeah, South Florida is a really cool ecosystem and definitely yeah. deserves protection. So, hundred percent. And can we talk about the tarpon? <laughs> yeah, amazing. Like I mean, we saw. Yo, hey, buddy. I'm fighting so hard. This guy right here. 
Yeah, exactly. We want him to be able to catch tarp in one day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, exactly. well, we also need to get Mitch to land one. So, like that, that yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, we. Um, that's, one day, maybe. Yeah, we need to. We're we're definitely going back. No, it's funny. I you know I'd, re- I'd listen to just bring up one more thing about Benny. You know, I watched his um, Millhouse podcast episode. Yeah. You know, right before we went down because it just aired like a couple days before we were going down. Yeah. And that whole baseline thing, like to your point, where, like captains being like, "Well, don't tell people the fishing's bad or the water's bad." The anybody who had the day we had, if they got off the boat and or and or okay, the, maybe the only way that you could get off of that boat and be like, "Ah, that was a shitty day of fishing," is if you lived in the seventies and you were Lefty Cray or whatever in Homo Sauce. <laughs> that was the only yeah. person that could have said that because like right. we were surrounded by you know the most big beautiful tarpon ever and you know we were catching snook and redfish and stuff and like if that if people think that fishery is ruined well, yes. that's crazy to me that's insane but well, i am and that's, i think that's <laughs> what, that's that what you saw is is why it's worth saving yeah yeah because we were in but, florida bay yeah yeah, yeah. Th- it's that's it you saw that this it's still there it's what's magical about it what's valuable about it, it's still worth saving but mm-hmm. yeah when you see it collapse and each time it comes back a little less and a right. little less yep. and a little less, you know, um, yeah. that baseline of what is good is constantly trending downward. And when right. you have the yeah. amount of people moving to Florida every year that we do, if all, all it would take is a decade and people's idea of what a good thriving fishery is, is nothing like what mine would be. And so it's, it's important for us to, it's important for us to get people to experience what you guys did because you're going to then see like, dude, I've I've been there one time and I freaking love that place and I'm going to help those guys fight to save it. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) We were like, that's exactly what happened. We went there. We're like, holy shit. How can we let this die? (laughs) This is incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. And for, you know, fly anglers, like, what that is saltwater fly fishing history it, is man. that place, you know? Yep. And there yep. was just there was just tarpon everywhere, and I still couldn't land one. Sorry, Benny, <laughs> but, you know, rock and roll. Hey, man, you hooked three. You hooked three. They are tarpon. They're not, like, they're not, they're <laughs> not small. Cool. They're not two-pound smallies, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, no, Mitch, awesome. I would say you're not the only person who has experienced that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, it's That a is thing, also right? part of what is, uh, what's, what keeps you wanting to come back for more, right? Totally. Yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, well, we just got five more questions to kind of round the show out. It's okay. uh, five questions we ask every single guest, uh, and they're just kind of more of general fly fishing Hold kind on. of questions. I gotta get them to quiet uh, down here. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> no worries. It's all good. My kid decides time to do dishes. <laughs> no problem at all. Tell okay. him he's got fifteen Sorry. minutes. He's got fifteen yeah. minutes, and then we're <laughs> all good. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, uh, five general fly fishing questions. The first question we're gonna ask you right now is. Uh, what is your favorite fish and why? If you had to pick a favorite fish, what would it be? Tarpon. Easy. Nice. Yeah. yeah I, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what is it about tarpon that you love? What's that? What is it about tarpon that you love? Might be oh, an obvious man. question, but. I mean, what's not to love? Yeah. They're <laughs> massive. They're powerful. They're, they're, you know, can be finicky. They, you sight fish them. I mean, they offer the greatest attributes of all fishing in, rolled into one package. You, you yeah. can sight fish them. They eat on the surface. 
they're strong, they're big, they're fast, they jump. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have stamina. It's like so cool. Holy cow, too. man! It's like the ultimate package. Yeah, I get it. It's a great answer. Yep, and answer. and you know, I think the coolest thing about tarpon is the places they live. I mean, yeah. look, they live in the Everglades. Yeah, so cool. <laughs> so wild. <laughs> it's another reason why the Everglades are so cool. You know, they got tarpon in there. It's like, geez, it's yeah. really, really wild. Um, okay, next question is, uh, if you could fish anywhere in the world right now, free tickets to anywhere in the world, and it's going to be the best fishing ever, where would you go and why? Ooh, gosh. That's a good one. You even go back in time if you want. It's a time what? teleportation, time machine. Okay, yeah. if I can go back in time, I'm fishing here 200 years ago. In the <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, fair um, enough. If, if we're talking about today. Yep. Uh, I would probably, um, I don't know, it's not necessarily most original. I would probably say maybe something like the Seychelles or something nice. like that, simply because I don't know that, um, you know, it's not something that like the normal everyday person may, may be able yeah. to afford to go do. Um, <clears throat> it looks super fun Yeah, and it's, and it's, you know, halfway around the world. So, yeah. Uh, but God, that, that list could be pretty long. There's so many places that I would love yeah. to go and experience and Patagonia and oh, yeah, that would yeah. be awesome. Bali, you name it. Uh, could go yeah. on forever. No, that's there. cool. Seychelles would be an adventure. There's no doubt. I mean, yeah. it's one of those places, you know, um, 200 years ago though. I like that We're right there. It's great. Yeah, right here at home, <laughs> That's a good thing to, years ago, to think that'd about. Be the top choice. <laughs> but with like um, modern gear though <laughs> yeah totally sure. no silk lines I don't, I don't know honestly i think i could float around out there in a in a freaking rowboat and just take it all in and be perfectly happy <laughs> that would be that would be cool to fly on the wall 200 years yeah. ago yeah yeah the boat would just be cruising across a bunch of tarpon <laughs> yeah. yeah that's great yeah. uh okay number three is what is one of your best or favorite fishing memories of all time best uh. fishing memory Gosh, I got a lot of really phenomenal fishing I memories. I can imagine, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I remember one time, kind of a funny thing, when I, was a, when I was a kid, I was probably maybe like 10 years old, and my parents' best friends lived on Fort Myers Beach, so the next island south of us. And uh, we would go out there almost every weekend, and we'd go across the street from their house and go fishing. And my buddy and I, their their son, were were probably been skimboarding or you know or swimming or something. We weren't too hardcore fishermen back then. We were ten years old, and yeah. uh, our dads, on the other hand, like they would go fish. They would go walk the beach and fish. And um, we were at the house, and our moms told us to go get our dads so they could make lunch for everybody. Yeah. And so we go across the street and tell our dads like, "You gotta go make lunch." give us your fishing rods. They hadn't caught anything. They've been fishing like yeah. all morning long, you know, and, uh, give us your rods. And so literally, I don't think they had probably made it back to the house yet. And we would throw these silver re uh, spoons called reflecto spoons. And I don't think they had probably made it across the street yet. And I cast out and I catch a massive snook. I mean, <laughs> like probably 40, 44 inches. Like, I mean, massive. Oh my God. And my buddy and I, drag this thing up on the beach and it's like as big as we are and yeah. we're all excited and so we go tromping across the beach with this snook and bring it bring it back to the house 
And yeah. that I think that the uh, look of disbelief on our father's faces um, and also yeah. pure jealousy and disgust that they had been over there <laughs> for, for five hours amazing. and hadn't caught anything. And these yeah. two little little shits came walking back, <laughs> with, you know, dragging a massive snook behind them. <laughs> um, that awesome. was a pretty funny memory from my childhood. Yeah, this the dad. Your dad just like son of a <laughs> <laughs> holding the snook like yo, <laughs> hey dad. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is easy, bro. Like, what like, the hell? <laughs> that's awesome i love that that's a huge snook geez i can't even imagine what that would be like um especially when it's the, the height of you um okay number four is why do you fly fish why do you go out what do you get out of it why do you do it ah it's it's therapeutic um it's challenging um but the the biggest reason why i fly fish is it's like why I love tarpon. It's the, it's the places that you do it. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and whether that's here in the Everglades or whether it's out West on a river in the middle of the mountains, it's like, I get just as much joy catching a little brook trout, um, mm -hmm. because of the places that you catch them, you know, it's just yeah. the most beautiful places on the planet that you can do that. And that's why I do it. It's just the places. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I totally appreciate that. Um, okay, and the last question of the day here is, what fly pattern represents you best and why? If you were a fly, what would you be? Uh, probably, uh, probably a bonefish slider. Nice. Okay. okay that's a new, up. that's a, that's a new, that's a new one. A lot, you'd be surprised how many people say woolly bugger. Really? Maybe you wouldn't yeah. be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I don't know. I'd woolly say bugger. a bonefish slider. I think it's a, it's a, it's versatile. It's, it's stealthy and very effective. I like that. That's great. <laughs> that's awesome. That's, yeah, that's the first time we've heard that pattern. And, uh, I think just talking to you for an hour, I, I can see it. I can see that. Yeah, stealthy, you know, getting into those sugar events, incognito, <laughs> nah. getting to the press. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Good one. That's awesome, man. Good one. Yeah, no, that story's so cool too. Like I just, I love that. To yeah, that. you're like, know, wait a minute, just, I've got press credentials. <laughs> honestly, it's like a, it's like a movie, man. Yeah. Like it's just like it's just yeah, it's it's so cool. Like that uh, you were able to do that. Um, bonefish slider, I dig it. That's cool. That's great. That's uh, yeah. that's a first. It's a first. Good deal. And the last of the questions uh here on the show but chris like we appreciate it immensely coming on and, and chatting to us it's it was really cool just to hear uh firsthand you know about captains and, and all the stuff going on and uh and i mean you know not that you need to hear it but thanks for doing all the work you guys are doing like it's it is inspiring even all the way up here in in toronto and uh and we're just we're just so happy to see this kind of thing yeah. happening because i think a lot of people feel the same way you know so when we see other people see it happening. It's just, yeah, there's a lot of no, disparity out there. It's nice yeah. to have something nice, you know? I mean, there's no, no shortage of people from Ontario living part of the year in yeah, Florida. Totally. So, you totally. know, to talk about everything being connected. I mean, I, even the average, you know, homeowner or vacation homeowner in Toronto, yeah. you know, this is something they should care about too because uh, absolutely. it's, it's their water too, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, and, and people are a good example of that. Wildlife, you look at, you look at, you know, waterfowl. I'm a, I'm a duck hunter. Right. <laughs> a lot of the birds that, that you guys, you know, yeah. depend on up there rely on Florida and the Everglades for their winter grounds. So yep. 
Um, yeah. Definitely all geese? connected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's but uh, I appreciate the opportunity, guys. It's um, for us that the key to making an impact is to bring new people and new blood into the fight. And anytime we can get access to a new audience and hopefully get them to at least be intrigued enough to look into us and visit the website and follow our social media. It's, it's mm -hmm. one more, one more voice added to the, to the megaphone. 100%. On yeah. that note, uh, shameless plug time. Where can people find like, what's yeah, your Instagram? What is your website? Where can people get yeah, involved? How, we, how we can they donate? We've got the typical Instagram, Facebook. I think we even have a TikTok. Um, right on. <laughs> um, not, I'm, I'm not the I'm not the social media guy, but but we have a big presence there. Um, yep. So any of that, any of the social platforms, we have Twitter, um, YouTube, Vimeo. But um, you know the best the the hub of all the resources would be our website, CaptainsForCleanWater.org, and um, there's a ton of information on there from different mediums of, of how you like to, to receive stuff, whether it's video or written content, um, infographics, articles, there's just a ton of information on there that you can learn and, and ways for you to plug in. I will say the animated our like the, our fight page on yeah. your website is super awesome. cool. <laughs> cool. Appreciate like that it takes, really well takes you to, takes you through like the history of the problem and where, uh, yeah, very easy to follow. Yeah. Very cool. Nice. Yeah, it's amazing, like, what you guys have been able to do. Like, yeah. Tip of the hat. Tip of the hat, <laughs> brother. Re appreciate yeah, that, guys. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, thanks again for coming on. And, um, and yeah, man, have a have a great uh, rest of your day. Uh, will do. Thank you, you guys, too, and keep in touch. Yeah, thanks, take Chris care. Google. Thanks, guys. Today's show is brought to you in part by Chums. You know, Chums, the company that makes those can't-live-without-em straps that keep your sunglasses on your melon. Believe it or not, Chums has been around for 40 years, making top-notch outdoor accessories for all the guides, river rats, and weekend warriors out there. Chums got their start in southern Utah back in 1983, when a guide on the Colorado River invented their now-famous original cotton eyewear retainer. Chums still makes many of its products in Utah, and everything they produce is designed to help you hang on to the gear you value most. Head to chums.com to explore a wide range of products, including wallets, roll-top dry bags, waste packs, dry sacks for your phone, and of course, glasses, retainers, and all kinds of wicked styles. Every time we hit the water, Chums is right there with us in the form of amazing gear, which means we never have to worry about our sunglasses or phones sinking to the murky depths of the waters we love to fish. Head to chums.com to check out their full lineup of outdoor accessories. That's chums.com. Best fishing story ever with Gab. Yeah, my best fishing story is actually, uh, it's a, a, a kind of like an adventure that didn't go well because uh, every time I go on a fishing trip with my dad, his car always breaks down because <laughs> he never has a really good car. And that one time uh, I came to Quebec City and I was kind of like uh, talking with a, uh, a magazine in, 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 the, in the States, like a fly fishing magazine. And he was like, okay, like uh, if you get this photo, this photo, uh, you might even have a shot at like the, the, um, the cover and stuff. Like he wanted like a giant brook trail and I was like, oh, I'll go, I'll head to the North Shore, it's going to be great. So I got to my parents and then my dad was like, oh, you want to rent a, a vehicle? And I was like, ah, no, I'm too poor for that. Let's just use your car. But he's got like this old PT Cruiser. 
And then we had a place at a lodge on the North Shore. It's like um, three hours about of a drive from the highway into logging roads. And we missed an exit. And then we just continued straight up and the road became really, really bad. But like, like really, like rivers and creeks crossing these rivers and we're in a PT cruiser and we totally broke it. Um, we, and like, uh, we, um, we perforated the radiator. So like every every kilometer we had to stop and like dump water on the motor because it was um, it was overheating like literally driving in the middle of nowhere with like a smoking car and it was like the third time it happened in our lives like the same like breaking the radiator it's it, so it's really funny and at some point I'm like we're like by a by a little lake and I'm like oh I wonder if like there's trout in the lake and my dad is like elbow deep in his car trying to fix it and then I'm like hey dad look trout and he's like shut the fuck up <laughs> it was really funny and then we um we we had like a a little cottage at a lodge that I arranged and and then it but we were way past uh, where the lodge exit was so we missed it and started to get dark in like the middle of the boreal forest and then it started raining but like downpour and I have some photo I can send you guys, it's kind of funny. <laughs> you see my, my dad's face when I take photos, he's like, no, it's not the time. <laughs> and then um, and then finally, like we met a trapper that was like trapping bears. It was like an early spring. And then he showed us the way and then we made it to the lodge, but like no one was like awake so we uh, we opened and slept in the living room <laughs> that was like super weird and then the weather was terrible so all we got was like little uh, dinky brook trout about like you know I think the biggest was like eight inches for like three days and we didn't stay there for as long as we wanted because obviously the car was broken so <laughs> we spent like two days drove eight hours spent two days <laughs> drove back and then uh, that article never happens. <laughs> I never wrote anything, never had any photos. It was really a, it was like a, a misadventure, but kind of fun at the same time. I think that's what the best story, because all of like the, you know, like stories were a catch, like giant fish and stuff. It's all trips that were awesome and it went well. You know, like uh, at a web escape, we, we talk a million times. Uh, I went to uh, Nipigon uh, Lake with, um, we're a good friend, uh, Matt Martin, but like uh, it's it's not that it was boring, but like it was just awesome. So it was kind of like un uh, un un unspokable. It was just like uneventful in a sense that uh, it was just uh, awesome week catching giant fish. So. And we're back here, and now we've of course got Yilma joining. Hi. Hey, Ilma. Hey. You weren't, hey, Ilma, that's you weird. weren't on the, what we just recorded with Chris, but uh, yeah, we're very excited because we've uh, we've also got uh, someone you might be familiar with, huh? Well, Gab in the house. Hey. How's it going, everyone? What's going on? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Gab. Thank you. <laughs> How's it going, man? Hey, very good. Uh, you know, chilling in Quebec City um, and then uh, fishing with uh, my wife. Yeah. And then just enjoying life. Hell really? yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we're stoked you're on here. Obviously, we uh, we got you here because we want to talk about a few things. Well, it was your best fishing story ever, 
that was in the uh, we just heard. So that's cool. Uh, and uh, and yeah, we want to talk about, uh, of course, what you're up to these days, but also uh, the fires because uh, we're experiencing forest fires across Canada right now, and a lot know, of them are right? in Quebec, right? So uh, of course, <laughs> what do you you you're working in forestry now, right? Yeah. So uh, three years ago, when I decided to go, when we decided, my wife and I to go back to Quebec City, mm-hmm. and then the pandemic hit, I was like, well, I might do something else, and then I. I went uh, and enrolled to, into a three-year forestry degree. Hell yeah! Which it's about time it's awesome. done. <laughs> <laughs> How was that whole journey, though? Was it? It, uh, it was good. It was good. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, just uh, going back to college in your mid-thirties is a challenge, but yeah. uh, right. I, you know, like when the pandemic happened, I was sitting at home and I was like, okay, I was uh, taking photo in the outdoor. Um, yeah. I'll keep the office, <laughs> but do something else in it. So that's why I joined forestry. That's cool. And uh, it's been pretty good. And now I kind of work in a department at the government that specialized in um, um, like coniferous forest. So that's where crazy. it's burning. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool, man. Yeah. You celebrated by lighting everything on fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm done. <laughs> wait, wait. It's on fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild, actually. What's going on though? Like, isn't I know uh, I am. Yeah, especially for well, you guys in Toronto mm-hmm. got a lot of uh, a lot of bad air and. Mm-hmm. And your family, mm-hmm. Mitch, and uh, oh, and Naldo as well. You guys yeah. are from Ottawa. Yeah, I, Ottawa was I heard really from bad. Friends, that it was really bad. Yeah, I kind of feel like it was worse. I don't know, like for, from Toronto though, but like I saw pictures of Ottawa, and everybody I was talking to in Ottawa were like, "It's like can't open the window at all," type of thing. Orange sky, like kind of like New York City was, you know. It was kind of worse than Toronto, just I because so, of yeah. the yeah. wind directions, right. and uh, also like a B two B and stuff like that. It's it's not that far from Ottawa either. Right? Yeah, it's true. Kind of like a stretch straight down shot and there's but fires in Appentibi? yeah oh, yeah shit. yeah that's where like well there's fires everywhere yeah but that region in particular has been hit like the the hardest jeez i wonder yeah, if tomogamy yeah. must be pretty bad right now too yeah. smoky uh, probably smoky really- yeah smoky wise uh, who knows you know like it's uh on the quebec side it's called Temiskaming. on the ontario right. side it's called Temagami. it's the same region mm-hmm. yeah so it's probably not great you probably can't have a bonfire no, that's for, for sure, sure. Yeah. i don't know i don't think it's burning just but there's forest fire in ontario too yeah it's just yeah, like, northeastern ontario it's basically yeah. all over the northern part of like canada like saskatchewan's bad alberta was like terrible not too long ago gab you're in forestry now yeah you're our forest expert <laughs> and we've got questions for you about these damn fires. Yeah, go ahead. It's not normal, right, for this time of year? Like, isn't it really early? And, like, of course, there's fires that happen all the time. But why are we experiencing... The, uh, the answer is, is it normal? It's it's yes. Like, right. <laughs> because it is. Uh, the boreal forest uh, needs forest fire. to. Re- that's, like, the uh, the way it regenerates. Right. And kind of, like, the, the dynamic, the ecosystem dynamic is, like, burning, regrowing, burning. Yeah. The thing is, is that it's been bigger this year because it's been super dry. We yeah. had like a extremely dry uh, spring. And also, um, and you guys in Ontario are experiencing that as well. But there's a, uh, a spruce budworm uh, epidemic okay. in the world forest, which they eat all the new growth. Every, every season, they eat the new growth of the trees. Oh. And if you do that multiple years in a row, the tree just dies. Right. So uh-huh. the forest is really dry because it hasn't rained, but mm-hmm. the forest is also really dry because it's just packed with trees that are standing up dead. Right. So it's, and like it's like tinder forests. 
Yeah, coniferous dead trees. Wow. So I don't know anything. The recipe else. for disaster. Yeah, like recipe for disaster. And it's probably well. I mean, of course, it's all kind of attributed to climate change as well, right? The fact that things are so much drier. <laughs> as well, yeah, because yeah. the the dry season lasts longer. Yeah. Um, the these epidemics are normal. You know, we it's it's a it's a budworm slash uh, moth okay. that exists here. It's normal, but the length that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, right, influencing uh, yeah, the, the the length of the epidemic are longer because the seasons are drier, mm-hmm. longer. It's warmer, yeah, and stuff like that. Right, so, yeah. So it is uh, one of the big causes, but you know, there's always so many yeah. causes. Uh, and also human activities. You know, right. I've heard like we've heard stories all week. Like it's not arsons, of of course. No one drives five hours north of Shibugamu to set up fire fires. Right. Yeah, yeah that's but, a good point. This will teach them. It's like, wow. Yeah, it's true. But it is, and in in even us in particular more, like people who enjoy the outdoors and people who go fishing. And, mm-hmm. Like um, there's a stats that Subfur came out with. Subfur is the organization who fights forest fires in, in the province. Each province has their own. For us, it's Subfur. But 60% of all forest fire in the province are caused by human. Wow, sixty accidentally. Wow, but yeah, that can be number. you know that can it's be a, a train over yeah. half. Over over half, yeah. over half, because the rest wow. of the forest fire are caused by lightning. But like, right. if you don't have lightning weather, yeah, 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 what else is causing these fire? Yeah, right? true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah, it is true. Like, what else yeah. would if it's not lightning? People like chucking their butts. Yeah. Out of their, 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 their car windows. Of course, bonfires uh, and whatever bonfires else. Bonfires yeah. that are not... Uh, fireworks. Fireworks, yeah. Fireworks, yeah. Fireworks is no good. Yeah. <laughs> I love them, but like I, I've, I, now that I know all of that, I don't really do them anymore. Yeah, because yeah. they are they are pretty uh, damaging. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. also the, the, the smell and so the whole, the whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, and also like, uh, you know, trains, like uh, on train tracks can have like just sparks. Oh, just right. a little spark right. yeah. can start like a Shit. fire and, and forestry industry, you know, like people who are working with chainsaws, gas, machinery, right. mining. Yeah. Like, so yeah, 60% of all forest fire in Eastern, uh, I'd say Quebec, but like it's probably like that for right. Eastern Canada in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is caused by by human activities. Wow. Damn. And and global warming is caused by uh, by human activities as well. Increased. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. Alexa, stop the music. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My wife is on the balcony. She probably missed up. That's sick. Chantal just starts busting tunes. <laughs> what song was it? Was it a good track? I don't know. I don't know. We were playing. I, uh, I didn't have time to recognize. Yeah, it was it Vanguard Boys? Vanguard probably Boys some. We like probably some Harry Belafonte or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So yeah, all of uh, you know, like people were. I saw this week because I, I read all the comments, you know, like on the New York Times yeah. on Instagram and stuff, and it's like half the people are saying it's natural, half the people are saying it's global warming, mm-hmm. and other people are saying it's it's a. Uh, and then I'm like, well, the truth is actually in the middle. Yeah, it's a bit right. of everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. But yeah, it's been bad. And I don't know if it's like uh, there's gonna, there has been more firefighting uh, arriving in Quebec. I know like yeah. a team of 100 firefi- uh, wild firefighters from France arrived. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, like, um, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, people from New Brunswick yeah. probably have mm. other provinces that come to help. But like... You know, like it's it's pretty yeah. widespread. It's the worst is in Quebec, but every province has their their wildfires, so you can't take. Yeah, I mean, like look at 
uh, Nova Scotia. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and Alberta, and and it's crazy. Which like, if Nova Scotia's burning, yeah. pretty much everyone should be burning because it's a pretty humid place. It's yeah. like a coastal forest. You'd never, almost never. I've never heard of forest fires really in in Nova yeah. Scotia. It wasn't really a thing. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty but, wild. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's the crazy thing too is it's only June 9th today. Yeah, know? like yeah, but uh, a lot of the time it happens early season. Okay, okay, because the deciduous trees are especially up north, like here, you know, in Pearl in Toronto, like we have leaf. But like uh, I was just uh, in Lac Saint Jean last week, and yeah. the leaf were like this big, like it wasn't right. So like you have like uh, if you think about like the the James Bay area and north of Temiskaming. Uh, there's a lot of dry uh, leaf on the ground, you know, it's, yeah. uh, and it has, so it is, it is kind of a normal thing. Even in Utahwe, where you, you guys are from, like uh, the Ottawa region, yeah. like most mm-hmm. fire happens in the spring because there's no leaf in the trees. Right. And deciduous trees are actually a, uh, they, they, they don't burn really much. Right. It's not a thing like they, uh, they, um, they kind of, pr- they're protected from, from the, the fire. Yeah. yeah. Same thing if you try, you put a, uh, you cut a branch of a spruce, put it in a fire. Right. And then yeah. you cut a branch of a maple tree, you put it in a fire, you'll see what burns faster. Oh, and like a dead <laughs> spruce too, you know, when they turn like brown, those things yeah. are crazy flammable. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're great for starting fires. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For a lot of them. Yeah. But wild. yeah, that's what's going on. Wow. Uh, hopefully it uh, recedes very soon. Mm-hmm. What are your messages <laughs> to, uh, to the humans out there? Uh, Anything you got? Any stay like... safe. Stay yeah. safe. Put out your fires yeah. like, properly, and keep your um, what's it called? Where you put your cigarettes? You know, like, yeah, like an ashtray. Yeah, put your cigarettes in your car. Hat. Say it in French. Yeah. Don't throw it. <laughs> um, cendrier, I think. That's beautiful. It's like a, so yeah, nicer. ashtray. It's it so sounds beautiful. so much nicer than ash- ashtray or cendrier. Ashtray. ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, put your uh, put your butts out and uh, don't be lighting any fires. Put your fires out. You know, one side tangent, but like things that annoy me when I'm like scrolling through TikTok and stuff. It's like everyone like, thanks Canada for the f- smoke. It's like, <laughs> like what are you talking about? Like think, countries, borders. A... Like it's like it's fucking one planet, man, and the smoke is coming from it's like true. just north of you. Like, what is this? I know people are half I feel joking. Like it was but a joke. I don't know. I think I feel like it was a joke, and then some catching people... on. I was a. I, I've always been a very big South Park fan, and it's a joke from South Park. Oh yeah, right? like their first movie, like Blame Canada. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's what it was. It started as like um, this joke, but then I just started seeing people actually. But I mean, it's the internet. Fuck, people are completely oh, yeah. whatever. Well, I'm just like can't help it, right? Come on. There was a. I saw one woman here in the Toronto, like uh, like somebody in the Toronto District School Board. And she was like pulling her kids out of school because she didn't want them to not go outside. You can't tell my kids to not go outside for recess. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's wrong? <laughs> Are you? What is wrong? With you know what? I hope you and your kids. Like, what's wrong? <laughs> I hope the kid's free and found some other, you know, friggin' parent. To the... Sheesh. Not me, man. <laughs> well, no, no. Think of the yeah. children. Yeah, it's, some uh, people, some people uh, who should have kids don't, and then some people who have kids shouldn't. Amen to that. They're losing their. People losing their. People are losing their freaking minds, man. I know, eh? It's uh, well, we live in that world now. So, yeah. and then it's funny because since uh, this week, like, there's been a lot of uh, like climate deniers, yeah. um, in social media, mm-hmm. like talking about that, but. 
It's just like, God and damn, I, like it's old. It's gotten so old. Like, just shut old, up yeah. already, my God. Yeah, I'm just, like, just look outside. Go take a breathe. I know. It's just crazy, man. I don't even know. It's like, uh, you know when it doesn't snow anymore and it used to snow? Yeah. Something's changing. Yeah. 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 And it's not going to get any better soon. No. No. We're not, we're, it might get better, but I don't think we'll see it. Well, have a happy uh, weekend, everybody. <laughs> you too, you too, right? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I mean, carrier of bad news. It's crazy, but uh, <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm glad that you're doing well, and you're you found uh, that's a pretty cool, like you know, like industry that you're in now. Yeah. It's, it couldn't be more gab, you know, like uh, I know, right? Like uh, <laughs> it's I just very gab. Uh, I wear all beige, yeah. and then uh, smell like deet. <laughs> it's like nothing really changed you know yeah. like it's nothing just, changed nothing yeah changed. <laughs> i awesome. switched the fly rod for uh for a ruler yeah but yeah. other than that i'm still i'm still the same well and you're still fishing out there right like you, you oh yeah for sure what about pictures Where man? Haven't, uh, it's more like you changed the camera to a ruler because you're not shooting anymore right eh? you told me last i i'm still shooting mm. i think i just don't post as much mm. yeah and and also like when i go fishing now like i I've taught Chantal how to fish. Yeah, and we go fishing together, and I care more about that, yeah. you know, and yeah, just, the photos and just chill. Just like take a, I wouldn't say like a, a, a social media break, like voluntary, but like yeah, like organically kind of moved out of it. Didn't even need and, to say yeah. any words. That you that know? deep breath you just made said it all. Yeah, yeah. snow living, mm-hmm. it's, it's snow, <laughs> slow, slow living, living. and yeah. just enjoying Good. it. You know, like I'm not doing it less or more, but yeah. I just. Uh, it's not no one's business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course, hundred percent. Exactly. I mean, hell yeah, we camp, we camp quite a bit. We're yeah. worried now because we are camping. Well, uh, it's in a while, but like uh, July, uh, uh, July first, we're going camping. Oh, sick! Where are you going? I don't think. Oh, just out here, uh, Cartier Park. Cool. It's um, it's like forty five minutes away from here, and it's it's magnificent. It's on the Jacques Cartier River, but. A bit more north, and it's like a big canyon, and you get the view, and it's nice. Wow. So, have you been uh, back to Toronto since you moved? I haven't. No, not at all. I, I guess mm. I crossed it once to go to see um, my uh, uh, my in laws' family for Christmas last year. Yeah. But other than that, no. Like I, I haven't on. fly anywhere. That question was uh, a bit of a trap because I was expecting you to say yes and say, "Where the hell was our phone call?" Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. The- <laughs> I don't well, no, I did, I did, but like I was like a yeah, and I was the one driving, so passing through. Oh yeah, you have to concentrate. Yeah. <laughs> passing through, oh, yeah. concentrate. I don't know what that yeah. is. <laughs> 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 That's foreign word to me. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to be out here this way anytime, anytime in the future? Uh, this uh, this winter, it's uh, again our turn to go to Christmas. Right. Yeah. But other than that, not really. I'm uh, I'm really focusing uh, on um, you know fishing around here. And, yeah. Uh, I don't even have any travel plan. I haven't fly anywhere. Yeah. I'm just like you know growing uh, plants and uh, flower outside and mm-hmm. that's awesome. And chilling on the balcony and go fishing in the weekend. Nice. Hell yeah, that's man! Great. Well, you're in yeah. a pretty beautiful place to be. To be, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Any any kids on the horizon? Here. Place is sick. Any kids? No. Oh, he'll <laughs> Whoa, sorry. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus my yeah, God. So are yeah, you so having you it, babies? <laughs> I don't have time for that, man. I have got so much time to chill. Like, yeah. I don't have time for kids. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel you. Like yeah, nature, nature doesn't want me to have kids. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's what about you? Natural selection there. Uh, me? No, uh, no, I'm single, so. Uh, I know all those not, but like. No, no I, I, <laughs> I'm good. Mitchy? 
Almost not having Mitch? any kids. Mitchie, I maybe. got no kids now. I got you're no the kids. last one to get married. So hey, I got no kids now. <laughs> no? Planning on practicing. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I love kids. I, like I love kids, but I love I like other people's practice. kids. Oh, you know? yeah, me when, too. Like, uh, I wish I wish I was closer to my friends who have kids. Yeah, so I could see them. Well, that's that's great, man. I'm glad that things are going well out there. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope that cleared a bit of uh, the why and the how. It's kind of like news with Gab. Yeah. It's kind of like news with Gab. Science. It was kind of forest news. Forest news. Yeah. 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 yeah man. It's true. Eh? My old. Uh, my old uh, background. Yeah. Well, one day, uh, one day we'll have to get back together. We we were just up at Elk Lake, actually. Uh, we stayed in uh, Cabin Six, the place that we, the four of us, first no our first trip. We stayed in. Yeah, we yeah. were back in Cabin Six. Mm-hmm. How's uh, awesome. um, How's Donald and um, they Donald sold it? They, oh, they're not there anymore. So, but he's the mayor. He's the mayor. <laughs> okay, I heard about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know you won. Yeah, Roger That's won. That's really cool. Roger's the mayor of Elk Lake, and they. They kind of moved down river and built a house, and they sold their their, their resort to uh, this new couple, uh, Mallory and Jason, who are super cool. And uh, yeah, they like uh, Roger and Mary Jo still obviously like live in Elk Lake, and and then we saw Roger. He was yeah, he was <laughs> that's yeah, his yeah, last name. Roger Donaldson. Yeah, that was Donnie. Uh, he was he was there. We saw him for the morning, and, uh, and yeah, he's the mayor. It's hilarious. I bet he's gonna be a great oh, mayor. Yeah. You know, I want totally. mayors to be firefighters. Yeah. Oh yeah, it seems like a responsible especially job right now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's best Before being job. a mayor, he's so experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's great. Yeah, he's such a good. Oh yeah, no, no, they're gonna be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was funny. That's we were cool. back are you guys uh, going somewhere else uh, this summer? Are you guys still going to uh, West Wenatchee? Cape Breton. West Wenatchee? Like, no, where you fly the orange planes? What is it again? Oh, uh, Esnagami. Esnagami. Yeah. Are you guys going there again? No, we're going to. Uh, we're going to. Um, oh my god. The Marguerite. Cape Breton. Yeah, we're gonna fish the Marguerite. Marguerite. Oh really? Yeah. 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 Try to get some Atlantics. Sweet. Hopefully, hopefully yeah, we can. Yeah. That's in Newfoundland, right? Nova. Nova, uh, Scotia. Uh, Nova, Nova Scotia. Scotia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that should be. Yeah, it's should funny. Be every, everyone salmon in Quebec salar. asks me if I go uh, salmon fishing, and I'm like, no, I'm still on trout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. The salmon, like, you're pretty close to some good salmon fishing. Yeah, yeah. Come, 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 uh, yeah, there's, a, there's one river close by in Charlevoix that's like close by on the North Shore here. Sick. Um, but Gaspé is still like, kind of like, almost. That's probably like a six, seven hour drive. Yeah, it's not that far, really. No, no, no. Yeah. Spitch the wheel. Little weekend, you know? yeah. little weekend swing. Us. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's sick. Well, cool. Yeah, yeah, we'll be doing that. But uh, yeah, one day we'll we'll get, we'll go back to Hearst. We'll go back to Madawapaskat or something. Keep <laughs> yeah. That'd be sick. yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> that would be sick. I, I talk about this trip again. Like I, I always say that, but I talk about this trip at least twice a week. Yeah, someone. it's the best, man. It was the best thing ever. <laughs> it was so it fun. Was so fun. It was amazing. Yeah, we'll yeah, have to yeah. we'll have to do that again. I was looking at it the other day. I was like, I wonder if they got Pim back up and running, but I don't know. I couldn't tell on their site. No, they don't. Yeah, they don't. It's mm-hmm. never going to happen again. But if they'll just fly us in there, we can just kind of hang out you know? yeah but imagine we're being, just hanging around like we were there for seven eight hanging. days but yeah. like with like a guide and a camp imagine being Camping. there but with like canoes and tents pretty really crazy <laughs> but yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. it's a good point it's a nice place to have a motor uh, sleeping in um in the muskeg oh man yeah. those wolves At hanging around comfy, yeah, comfy. Yeah, yeah true yeah and pretty <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah. it's so pretty up there yeah, remember no, hubert it was, it was. remember hubert <clears throat> With the muskeg? Yeah. Oh, man, that was pretty. 
Well, there wasn't musk egg in Huber. Wasn't there? I don't think. No, just some moss. It was moss, but, though. Um, it was like that kind of lichen moss. Oh, man. See, I get those things yeah, really yeah. confused. Oh. Really Can we edit that out? Moss. <laughs> no. <laughs> the musk egg, it's when it's sphagnum that's like so deep. And yeah. it's all like you can sink in it. Yeah. When it's like a lichen, it's more like a rocky. Oh. On top kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Yeah. I just Google. But, Thanks, Gab. Uh, oh, that's no, right. No. Yeah. Remember when I we flew Google. the the <laughs> we we flew the the drones over the muskeg? That was crazy. I remember that. That was yeah. beautiful. That was. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really cool to see all like the the colors yeah. and stuff. Oh, oh man. Yeah. 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 Huh? But it was fun because now I get to go in the muskeg and then pick up plants and bring them back and yeah that's cool man and you were just looking. up north right like when i was texting you last week yeah yeah no i was uh i was in the lac saint jean region um for four days we leave on uh, on monday come back on thursdays oh cool and then uh, go back home and repeat on mondays oh that's rad but now i can't so like uh, this week i was just uh, in the office reading books right <laughs> I, 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 a little office time yeah that's yeah, nice yeah, back and, and uh, back and forth a little balance yeah, gonna be able to work next week, but like uh, very close to like the, re- the the in the Quebec City like area. Like. Yeah, Because yeah. like where we were supposed to go, Saint Felicien, there um, there's um, um, there's refugees there from like mm. uh, so like it'd be kind of weird to go there and take right. hotel rooms with our like right. forest government truck. Right. Be like, sorry guys, like, we need some we need some rooms yeah. here. I need to go and measure uh, trees. You know? <laughs> so yeah. we'll, we'll stay back, you know. We have to show example. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, stay safe out there and, um, yeah, keep us abreast of all the, any kind of forest fire news. I will, I will. You guys text me and uh, I'll tell you how it is. So, if I know, I don't always know. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> well, I guess. They had a Chantel for me. <laughs> yeah, so okay, I had a Chantel. I will. Yeah. I'll, tell her, my love. I'll tell her you guys yeah. say hi. Awesome. Right. Right, so oh, yeah, yeah. No, that I won't say, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not from you. <laughs> I love it. All right. See you, Gav. Good to see you, brother. All right. Good to see you. See you, man. Oh, well, that was yeah. a great show. Uh, it was awesome hearing from Chris, Captain's Clean Water. Um, of, of course, you, know, you, you didn't hear because you weren't here, but it was a great chat. We learned a lot about Florida and uh, the work that Captain's is doing to uh, protect it. And uh, Frankie! You can see Frankie on our YouTube page, of course. Go watch the podcast there if you want to see us talking in person. Um, 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 and uh, <laughs> cool to hear from Gab. It's best fidget story ever. Cool to hear about forestry and the fires that are going on. Just get some more insight to what's happening. And uh, yeah, everybody, thank you yeah, so much for scary. listening. And uh, Yes, and uh, stay safe out there. That's it for me, Mitch. Aldo? Yeah, say to everybody, put your butts out. Yeah. Not in the forest. No. Yelma? Uh, what do you always say? Stay safe, comb your hair? Yeah, that's oh cool, man. God. Comb your hair. Thank you for listening. And take care. Take care. Oh, take care. Comb your hair. You can find all of our content at SoFly.ca. Reach out via email by sending your questions or comments to info at SoFly.ca. Find us on Instagram at the SoFly Crew. Thanks for listening. 